I, I think it's really, uh, dude, I'm so distracted right now. It's like flickering behind you. There we go. It's back. Goes well okay. with my blue shirt and my it baby does. blue eyes. It's the whole thing, whole package. Fair. Fair. Uh, just, just stop uh, talking. Keep going. And I'm out. <laughs> If you're not getting educated about current market conditions, whether you're in real estate, finance, accounting, you're an attorney, you're doing title work, you're doing yourself and your clients a disservice. This is the Knowledge Brokers Podcast. I'm Tom Tool. I'm here with my good friend, Lisa Chinati, the biggest, baddest bitch in real estate coming from Massachusetts. And what I want to start with, Lisa, it's been another kind of Nice sort of stable economic week. The Federal Reserve did what they expected. Everyone expected them to do, which was raise rates 25 basis points. Mortgage rates retreated a little bit. Chairman Powell didn't put his foot in his mouth during his comments, which we're going to unpack as well. And it just seems like that there's a, I don't want to say calming sense, but a stable sense to the marketplace right now where People kind of know what it's going to cost them to finance a home. I don't know that we've been in that spot since maybe fall of last year. I, I, I think it's spring of last year, right? I think the rate increases started in June. Sure. Uh, and I, so uh, yeah, I go back to it's been almost a year. Yes. So, so I, I agree wholeheartedly. So what what are, what are your people seeing? What are, what are consumers seeing in the marketplace? I mean, it, it seems like everyone was kind of just waiting to hear what happened. That was my feel from talking to our agents, talking to other people in the industry. And when they came out and did what they expected they were going to do, and rates didn't skyrocket, because there's still this misconception out there that the Federal Reserve actually sets the mortgage rates, which we know isn't true. And a lot of consumers feel that way. It's not even, it, it, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like that's happening, we, you might need to go back and, and, and study a little bit. But consumers tend to feel that way and they only transact every Correct. 10, 11, 12 years. So it, are, are you feeling this stability here as we head into May? And what, what, are, what are your agents seeing? What are you feeling in the marketplace? Yeah, I, I think it, it's exactly what you said. I think we're seeing it both on the buyer side and the seller side, mm -hmm. right? I think this week, actually, Mass in New Hampshire, Biggest week yet for new listings. And it was, mm -hmm. it's been huge. I think buyer sentiment, if we look at the number of inbound buyer leads that have happened this week, I think we can see a noticeable uptick. I can see a noticeable uptick in the number of offers that we're writing. Um, and I'm going to guess when we look back at mortgage, mortgage application data, we're going to see that there's going to be an uptick in that as well. Um, all positive signs. And I think the biggest thing that's going to continue to hold us back is still the lack of inventory. I think it'll start to ease, but I don't think it's going to go away. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. And if you look at Logan Motoshami and his housing wire um, market tracker, which comes out every Sunday night, Monday morning, it's probably one of the things any knowledge broker should be reading on a weekly basis. Uh, and he breaks down the three lead indicators in the housing market, which are what we really need to be studying right now, because the lag data just never cuts it. And this has even lagged a week, but uh, last week what we saw from uh, was an 8,260 active listing increase week to week, which was in line with what we saw the previous week. We saw purchase application data rise 5%, and obviously mortgage rates remain steady, and they actually ticked down a little bit after the Fed meeting this week. So 
Um, I'm seeing the same thing. I, I you know, you, you've you've kind of taught um, a lot of us here. Look at your MLS and look at that active housing data that's coming on the market every week. I think this is something that every knowledge broker should be doing. And, and we saw again another another big bump in inventory. It was uh, in the Philadelphia metro area. We saw a little over 800 homes. And what we're also seeing is homes coming back to the market, which adds into those active listings. And I think people are taking that for granted. That was 10% of the homes that are currently available over the past seven days in our marketplace, roughly, because some folks, I mean, and, and we saw this right prior to 2020, where they get in these bidding wars and they get a little hesitant and feel like they might have gone a little overboard when they lose these houses or when they win these houses, excuse me, and they end up backing out of the deal if there's like an HOA document review or some sort of contingency. So I'm positive this week. I feel like there's some stability. And my hope is that, you know, the consumers are going to see that as well, especially as we head into the weekend. Uh, so Lisa, what we saw so far was that um, uh, mortgage rates uh, have, have retreated a little bit. Um, and a lot of experts feel like the spread on the 10-year treasury yield uh, based on where rates are is a little off. So where do you do you see more stability with mortgage rates? What are your predictions here with where rates go now that the Fed met? And we'll talk about Jerome's pal's uh, comments here in a second. But what, what's your take on rates? Because this is another big talking point. I feel like all we talk about is inventory and rates. Yeah, it, well, it's the two biggest buttons right now, right? <laughs> um, I I do believe that I... I think we're going to see them get a little bit lower. Um, I think especially with as more data continues to come out, I think we've talked about this in the past on this uh, podcast, which is that the Fed has been acting with either a fire hose or bundles of wood to heat things mm -hmm. up and cool things down as necessary. Um, and we've not really had a time where we've given everything enough opportunity to fully take shape. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is kind of the start of allowing that to happen by being middle of the road with it. And I think we're going to start to see that data is going to show it's, it's having the, the effect that it needs and that we're at the end. That's my, that's my gut. I could be wrong, but that's my gut. Well, your gut is backed up by some experts here that are saying the same thing. So let me give you some quotes about this. So um, Logan Motoshami from Housing Wire, the lead analyst there, uh, he quote, was quoted yesterday, mortgage rate spreads are bad now, meaning mortgage rates should be a lot lower today versus the 10-year yield. And specifically, he said mortgage rates should be 5.55%, not 6.5%. So, I mean, uh, that's in line with what you're mentioning. Another yep. quote here, go ahead. No, that's, I was agreeing with you. Yep. Okay. Thank you. It doesn't happen often, I know, but I agree. It's not so. true. Okay. And we also have um, MBA president, the Mortgage Bankers Association. Um, while they expect ongoing uncertainty in financial markets to keep mortgage rates volatile, he expects rates to ultimately fall below 6% levels. Specifically, we still anticipate they will fall ending the year closer to 5.5%. And that's the MBA president and CEO, Bob Brokesmith. So we've got these people that are in the prediction industry, but they're also obviously heavily tied to economic data. That's their job. They're seeing things are going to come down. And the Fed that doesn't mean the Fed's going to drop rates like that. I think that's the thing we need to be aware. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, hey, maybe they're going to start making some rate cuts. That's not really the case after Jerome Powell's comments here. So 
you know, I, I, what you're saying, Lisa, I think is in line because with, you know, we have this inventory issue and that's what's driving demand right now. But if we, if we had more inventory, you wouldn't see this feverish demand. And that, that's really the, 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 the crux of all this. And it looks like inventory is starting to, to rise a little bit. Um, Realorder.com did a really interesting study um, with some charts and graphs. And we'll, we'll put this uh, one chart up here where it compares the last five years of inventory. Um, and let me get to the, so it's newly listed homes. And if you look at, uh, but and then they also have, what I find even more interesting is like the supply charts because we're, all, we're focused on newly listed homes right now. Everyone's saying what's coming to the market, what's coming to the market. If I'm a buyer, the best deal for me, what I'd be looking for, and this is what knowledge brokers should be telling their clients, is look at the home that's been sitting on the market a little bit that you're you're afraid to give an offer because that's not what you've been trained to do the last two or three years. And on this this total listing count chart, and I'll send the uh, I'll send this to uh, our our folks at BAM here to put up on the, on on the post op uh, is that we are ahead of. Uh, 2022 total listing count. And a lot of people aren't feeling that way right now. And this is right about the time where the market started to shift a little bit last year. We had another like 60 day run and we got towards the, uh, the, the beginning of summer around that July 4th weekend where things moved in another direction. We're behind the 2021 listing count. And you know, right now at the end of April, 2023, we're up 6.3% year over year in active homes that are available. And you know, while everyone's complaining about inventory, bitching about inventory, which I get, we're still ahead of last year. So uh, do, do you see that listing count rising later in the year based on where rates? So, I mean, this is, this is like the million dollar question right now. I, I do think it's going to increase. I don't know that it's going to be a flood of inventory, right? Like looking at those charts, I don't think we're going to hit the 2018, 2019 counts, but I yeah. think we're going to surpass the 2022, 2021 and 2020 counts. I, I think it's going to be one of those middle years. I think a lot of what people are feeling is if I look at my MLS, the pendings are down, right? And it's, mm -hmm. there is some correlation between the actives and the newlies and the pendings, but what we're all feeling more so than anything is that the pendings are down and it's also very regional. Um, mm -hmm. uh, one of the fun things that I've been doing is going back to look at how the gap in the pendings is actually starting to tighten up. The gap started the year at about 35%, where we were down in the pendings about 35%. And mm -hmm. we tightened the gap by about 10%. And I think that, you know, and that's looking same time of the year over this year over year. I think that there's some really positives that can be taken away from looking at the data slightly differently. So you mentioned pending listing count. So on this uh, this research from Realtor.com, they did a really nice job with this. I thought the visuals made it really easy to understand with people. If yep. you look at the 2023 numbers, while the pending listing count is down 22.5% year over year, if you go back to 2019, we are almost even with that number. Yep. And the, the 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 challenge is that we saw this these, these incredible pending sale amounts happen in 2020, the second half of the year specifically, 2021, yeah. bananas, 2022, still a good year, but these we're coming off these highs. And, and if you look at what happened in 2012, where at the end of that year, we saw just about, about the same amount of home sell, but now we've got 600,000 more real estate agents like that. That's what the knowledge brokers are understanding right now, that there's more competition for 
less homes than what we've seen over the past couple years. And this is the stuff you got to educate your clients with because 2019 wasn't a bad year to buy or sell real estate. I think a lot of people felt pretty comfortable in those decision-making phases and it maybe wasn't as fast paced. People were educating more than they did after the, the post-pandemic sort of hype that happened. So th this to me is pretty interesting that, that this research that they're putting together here. Super powerful. Yeah. And I think something really good to share with consumers because of your point that it's super visual. Well, and, I always look, love I mean, looking at the drop for 2020. It's always fun. Yeah, thank you. It's great. COVID-19 and the government. So, speaking of the government, Jerome Powell spoke. This usually goes one of two ways. Horribly wrong for the markets or hey, this guy didn't say anything stupid this time. And and I, I and I'm I'm being a little over the top here because his comments hold a lot of weight in the marketplace. Let's call it what it is. He's the chairman of the Federal Reserve. So I'm going to run down, and I want your take on this stuff, Lisa. I, I find this to be very interesting. I'm going to run down the big market-moving comments, according to CNBC, after the latest rate hike. And I want you to give me the Lisa Chinati take. I want, I want to hear what you have to say. This might be one of your fun things that you do in your free time, like look at charts, like you just said. So uh, <laughs> let, let, let's get into this. So... <laughs> The, the 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 first thing that he said um and he came out is that um investors seem to have turned their attention to specifically the comment that he made um that the rate setting committee has a view that inflation is going to come down not so quickly it will take time and in that world if that forecast is broadly right it would not be appropriate to cut rates and we won't cut rates what do you think about that I actually somewhat agree with that. I think that while it's coming down, I think that cutting rates will create volatility that we do not need right now. I think they need to stay where they are, let it fully shake out, give it, give everything time to actually see what the impact is going to be before we end up cutting and then increasing even more. Well, I, and I, I agree with you there as well, because look what happened in 2020. They cut rates way too fast, and then they didn't rise yeah. them quick enough or raise them quick enough. And it kind of got us into the situation in the first place. I yeah. mean, if, if rates would have come back up, let's say fall of 2020, right? When things kind of, you know, or, you know, you were kids were going back to school part time, all, all that weirdness. Like my, my kids were in like split classes. They only have 22 kids in their class anyway. They were going 10 and 10 half days. There, there, was, there was some sort of return to normalcy over over what, what had happened. And that's when the fever pitch really started. It was it was like after summer, everyone kind of like sat at home and, and, and did all that stuff. And then they, they were sitting on all this cash because people were still yep. working. And they're like, oh, you know what? Screw it. Let's go buy a house. And we're going to move up and we're going to take advantage of these super low rates that we saw. And that's when the, the twos and threes were what everyone thought was going to last forever. So I, I, I agree with this as well. I think the Fed needs to be stable here and not tinker too much. So love that one. All right, here's the next one. Um, it's about the Silicon Valley Bank, right? Uh, so he said that the run on the bank was historically unprecedented and will need to be addressed by regulators in the future. Specifically, the comment was the run on the bank was out of keeping with the speed of runs through history and that now needs to be reflected in some way in regulation and in supervision. I'm not aware of anybody thinking that this could quite happen so quickly. It would be up to the vice chair bar to really take the lead in designing the ways to address them. So my, my the for if you want to understand the common folk language here, which is what I speak, 
basically they need to make sure this doesn't happen again and have some more regulations. What do you think, Lisa? Yep. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that there were a unique set of circumstances around it. I think that it's twofold. I think we, I think there needs to be some regulation around that, but I also think we need to look at the uh, insurance limits and is mm -hmm. the low bar of $250,000 still relevant in 2023. I think that that was the bigger issue at stake is the broad impact that it could have because the insurance levels are so low. And so I do what? think that there needs to be some changes. I, I question which of the changes that we need to focus on. You know, you bring up a really great point about the FDIC insurance coverage. That was set in 2008. And we have heard right. nothing from the Fed, if not inflation's high, inflation's high. The value of the dollar, you know, obviously is not the same as it was in 2008. So you've got to look at these things. I would argue one of the the, the things that, you know, this is outside of this comment, uh, this particular segment here, but we talked previously about capital gains tax exemptions. That was set in 1997, right? So you're you're putting these numbers out there that aren't getting adjusted. And it's what no matter what they are, if we're going to talk about how inflation is such a problem, you've got to adjust the protections in line with inflation. You can bring it down, but the, the, the numbers aren't going to go down. Like housing values aren't going to come down. You know, people's money, it compounds over time, whether it's 1%, 3%, 5%. So I think that, that that's a great point. Um, I, I also agree with you on this because, look, let's face it, Silicon Valley Bank had a super risky portfolio. I mean, crypto was something everyone was talking about. And I would I, I remember vividly, it was it, and it was like two sides of the fence. There was no in-between on crypto. It was either, oh, this is going to be awesome. Or then I would talk to folks and say, anyone that invests in crypto, they're going to get their ass handed to them. And it looked like the latter is what played out. Um, so, you know, it, when, you, when you invest in risky stuff, invest in risky stuff, excuse me, sometimes this happens. So, yeah, I, I, th I think it's more the, the, the federal controls. I do agree with you there. But, um, you know, that, that bank, I mean, they made bad decisions. Businesses fail all the time because they made bad decisions. And this bank happened to be a business that failed. Agreed. All right. Comment number three, this is, this is, and I'm actually going backwards here, but the market moved literally every time these comments came out. So uh, Jerome Powell said it may be too soon to cut rates. Specifically, we on the committee have a view that inflation is going to come down not so quickly. It'll take time. And in that world, if that forecast is broadly right, we're not going to cut rates. Um, and he felt that they, uh, that, that it was appropriate how they, how they've kind of said, like, we got to let this play out a little bit. And we kind of already discussed this one. Yep. In agreement. Let's keep moving. Yep. The labor market. The initial signs of weakness in the labor market suggest that a path to a soft landing for the economy is not off the table. What do you think about that one? I actually agree with that one. Um, I don't think it's going to be horrific. I think that there is still a lot of positives. I think the job market. Look, I, I'm in the middle of trying to fill a couple of positions and hiring isn't as easy as it was in the past when we've had, you know, uh, weak job markets. I, I don't classify the current job market as weak by any by any stretch of the imagination. And I think as long as jobs remain hot, it's going to soften the blow to anything that happens. You know, it, 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 it's interesting because they go on to talk about wage increases moving down. If inflation has hit anything, it has hit how much you pay people. I mean, it, it like I mean, I, I've just been had my mind blown about what 
the, the, the salaries people are commanding for jobs a couple of years ago literally would have been like 20 to 30 percent less. And I mean, I, I mm-hmm. you know, it's and, and you know, we're we're bringing in all types of different salaried employees here at our team, whether they're inside salespeople, support staff, yep. um, you know, management. Uh, right. Management, and, and, yep. and all those all those all those comp packages are going to be different. Um, so, I mean. I'm not seeing that things are cooling down. I'm seeing there's more talent on mm-hmm. the street because I think they realize they can get more money if they make a move. Uh, but you got to pay for those people. And then there's it, it's a weird thing because if you pay for those people, then they got to think about, well, is it right for me to make a move to another company now that I got a higher offer? Or am I going to use this offer to get more money from my current employer? And I, I've Correct. definitely, we've seen that happen to people we know in the industry and that are hiring all sorts of folks. So, um, I mean, the labor market's strong. I just don't, uh, you know, it, it's it, with, with 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 income coming up like this and wages coming up. I think that's where inflation has a little bit of a challenge to to cool down a little bit. Agreed, agreed. It, it I, I still think when you look at the number of openings that exist, and I think one of the other factors that I think still isn't fully resolved, and I don't think we talk about it enough, is the lack of affordable childcare that is keeping people out of the labor market who would absolutely enter if they could find affordable childcare or even just childcare. I've got some, uh, I've got a family member up here who's due with their first baby uh, baby's due in June and they can't get a spot at any daycare until November. Even if they were ready, willing and able to put that baby in daycare in June, there are no spots open. Yeah. And I've heard. So- I, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just stepped all over you there. Um, only time that's ever happened. So, <laughs> um, so I, I, we, I mean, I've had people standing outside for lotteries to get into daycares that I know personally. I mean, it, and, right. and even just getting a babysitter for, you know, my kids are 10, eight and six, and we're trying to get like a babysitter, literally just a, just someone that we can like a part-time gig. Right. Um, and yep. even that is really difficult because, it's, you know, they, they, people don't want to work or they are, they're, they're not, they're, they're, they're getting paid enough at their current job. They don't need to do something on the side. Cause a lot of like teachers will babysit in their off time or a lot. And like, I'm talking like younger people starting their careers. Um, even college kids are, it, it, it's been a little difficult to do. So I think that that's a great point about childcare because as strong as the labor market is, it's really, these facilities don't have enough space to accommodate everybody. And they had to downsize their employment staff during the pandemic because you couldn't send your kids. So it's like, this problem we kind of created it ourselves here from a from a government level and now we're just like digging it out and it just seems like there, there's a lot of layers to this that's how i feel in my business <laughs> yeah we're going to talk about that we actually have lisa's got a great topic we're going to hit on because for the knowledge brokers that are out there you know there there's less home selling this year right and you know people are feeling it in the real estate industry real estate's an elastic business you kind of go with ebbs and flows in the economy it's not like medical device sales where they're going to need those devices no matter what, because people are you know, getting these surgeries done, getting hips replaced, whatever they have to do. Real estate's an elastic business. And with an elastic business, when the economy reacts this way, it's a little tough. And, and all, all the, all the warts come out when things are not going, when things are going great, you kind of like overlook like the bump on your head or like the skin knee. But when things are, the market is tough, not business. When the market is tough, Every flaw is magnified. And then you find out there's like 30 more of them you didn't even know about, but you didn't care because things were going well. So I think that's where, and we're going to talk about major companies in, in the market here in a second about that. Uh, anything else? I mean, I can go through all these comments here. I mean, I think we kind of hit on the, um, the, 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 the big, the big takeaway for me from, from uh, Chairman Powell's comments was that 
we're not going to see a decline in rates. It sounds yeah. like they're going to wait a little bit and let this play out, which I, I, I'm clear is the best strategy. We've been calling for that for months on this podcast, and they're going to evaluate. So really, the data is going to help them make the next couple decisions, which I like. I'm a database decision maker myself. That's how good businesses should be run. That's my big takeaway from this. And I, I think he didn't put his foot in his mouth this time. And the markets reacted favorably. I mean, we were getting quoted six and an eighth on rates yesterday after the comments came out. So I don't have a number yet today on, on Friday the 5th. Cinco de Mayo, Lisa. We'll have to ask you if you have any plans later about that. Uh, but that's my big takeaway from Jerome Powell. Anything you want to add? Nope. I think that's spot on. All right. So I said it's Cinco de Mayo. You, you having any like margaritas later? You getting, you know, having like some tacos tonight? What's, what's your plans here for Cinco de Mayo? Byron's golfing uh, I, all day. Yeah, I'm jealous. Uh, I had forgotten it was Cinco de Mayo. I think it might have, and I didn't make reservations. So I don't know that tacos and tequila are my future, but might have to happen. I mean, I'm sure you can get it delivered with like some sort of delivery service from Drizzly or something like that. Maybe we can get them to be a sponsor on the Knowledge Brokers podcast here. So um, I'll be watching the Sixers game tonight at my house. So that will be my plans. Uh, they're playing Boston. Big game, Lisa. I know you're a huge, huge basketball fan. Yeah. Who's going to win? Name, can you name two players on the Celtics? That's my first question for you. Not right now. Okay. <laughs> It's going to be a good game. I'm, I'm a little nervous, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. So back back to let's, let's talk about what you, what you mentioned here. I think this is really interesting. And um, you wanted to bring this to the table. So I'll kind of let you take the lead with it here about Inman uh, breaking a lot of news about some of the, the the bigger companies are feeling the pinch in the real estate market, just like a lot of local companies, teams, individuals. I've heard this from a lot of folks. So you, you brought this to the table this morning. So please share. Yeah. So really interesting stuff that came out looking at uh, it was a big week for earnings reports. Right. And when you look at some of the big ones, it, both in the brokerage space and just in the real estate space in general, I think that the, the data is super important for agents, team leaders and brokers out there to understand, because I think from my perspective, and I know you and I talk about this quite a bit, right? Like Q1 has been rough financially. I think that yeah. this is the longest stretch that I've ever gone in owning the company where we haven't hit profitability yet this year. And I know mm -hmm. it's coming, so I'm not having total freakouts. But I think it's also important to give ourselves as leaders some grace in understanding that it's an industry-wide thing. And preparation is key. Understanding it is the second key. And having plans in place to get out of it are the other aspect to it. So Zillow came out with their earnings reports um, and they were down 13% in revenues. So they were down 13% um, and they lost, uh, what was it? 16 million. So not small losses, right? Uh, I think going back in some of the other big ones that we find, Remax, your company yes. there, had some pretty big losses, both in profitability and in agent count, which I find really super interesting, right? Mm -hmm. It kind of speaks to a lot of what is going on and maybe a lot of the pain that some of the teams and brokerages that are listening to this podcast are also feeling for various reasons, right? Agents leaving the business, making a flight to different areas where they find leaders who are more engaged. Um, and anywhere, parent company of Coldwell Banker reported $138 million loss in Q1. So really big losses. 
It's a big, that's a big one. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's and and like I said, I mean, I heard this on um Gary Keller's Think Like a CEO podcast, still one of my favorite follows in real estate. Um, and he, you know, he, he talked about how like th th this sort of market, it's and this has been a long time coming, by the way. I mean, we've been on a run since 2012 yep. where it, everything was just going great for real estate agents. You know, people thought the market was going to crash, then COVID happened and all this other stuff. So, uh, you know, a, a, a run that long and a 10 to 11 year run is unprecedented with economic cycles. And I think that's the first thing to acknowledge here is that, you know, we, we've been very fortunate. Um, and it, it, I feel like we've been getting our teeth kicked in in the first quarter, Lisa. I don't know about you. I, I don't want to give you some yep. weird gummy smile right now because that's what's been happening. So when I look at this, I, I think it's it, it, it's you got to get real with the brutal facts in your business. And that's what knowledge brokers are going to do. If they're really looking at their business and, hey, what's actually working right now? Where am I actually generating business from? Where's something that I have that um, it's a lead pillar that I think I get a lot of business from, but I don't track and measure anything. And you know what? It's actually costing me money, right? We've all had those. I've had that happen in my business. I've made that my mist uh, that mistake. I know we we have this conversation constantly off off the pod, and these businesses are feeling the same way. You're talking about iconic companies here. You know, no matter who you're with, you know, anywhere with Coldwell Banker, Century Twenty One, that the whole Realogy branding, they rebrand it, whatever. Zillow, right? Saturday Night Live skits are made about Zillow. Remax, I mean, everyone knows the, the balloon. Like the, all, these are all large companies, and they're feeling this. And, and the agent count thing, I want to get to in a second. Uh, but it, you've got to get real with going what's going on in your business. And if you haven't sat down and tried to see where you can trim your budget, and I would argue it's not just a trim. This is like bringing the machete out and cutting anything out that's not going to be profitable for you. And I'd be looking at any line item that's even more than a hundred dollars. We've had this kind of like it, that stuff adds up. And there's so many agents out there that they, they, they subscribe to all these things. They don't use the resources that they have and you're paying for stuff. You're like, Oh, I'll use it. I'll, I'll use it. But then it's been six months and you still haven't used the freaking thing. So you're, you're wasting money that way. And part of running a business, part of being a knowledge broker with a sustainable and repeatable business is understanding how to review the P and L and understanding where your money's going because you're still selling houses. There's houses to be sold. And the number that matters in real estate is the profit number, not your GCI, not the top line revenue number. It's the bottom line. Just like these publicly traded companies get graded on by their investors and the people that own parts of the company. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's super important. I think one of the mistakes that I see agents making a lot right now is giving up on some of the stuff that has worked historically and investing money into new things, thinking that they don't need to continue to invest the money, say, in their sphere and the nurture programs that they had for their past clients because they think it's already just going to happen. And they pull the money out of that and put it into some fancy new online lead gen or some other campaign, and it's going to cause a, a decrease in what they know has fed their family and created their bread and butter for years and create a massive lag. I'd be looking at Things like website expenses. Can you cut costs on, do we all need super fancy high-end websites that claim to have the best of SEO and all of this other stuff? How much business is actually being generated by your website? What is it besides branding play? Do we need to be spending as much money producing videos or is there a lot of stuff that we can all do individually mm -hmm. to get the content out there? I, there's so many areas, but I'm passionate about this right now. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've had these conversations offline. Lisa, Byron, and I, we have a three times a week accountability call. We're constantly in communication because you've got to have people you can lean on in the business that are going through the same things you are. It makes it a heck of a lot easier. Um, and and spoiler alert, they're probably not in your market. I'm just telling you right now. You got to find people that are going to be outside. They're going to respect what you're doing instead of viewing you as this demon child because you're selling houses. And that's what happens. And all the stories that go around and everything else. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, you also got to look at like, what, what's people's productivity. A lot of people carry a lot of salaries. Are they doing their job? Yeah. Are they hitting their numbers? Um, we have, we have a flywheel meeting every day at our office. we got a, a, a whiteboard up in, in, in there and it's, Hey, what's everyone's number for the week and the numbers that are going to drive business. And invariably every number hits another department and keeps profitability moving forward. And if you're struggling with making sure your employees product are productive, you might want to look into some virtual assistants, Lisa. I know that's something you use in your business. I use them in mine. And you may not know there are some things you can delegate to a real estate virtual assistant. And here's a list of some of those things you can hand off to a VA to make your life easier. So you can focus on what's most important, which is typically having conversations, setting appointments, writing and negotiating contracts. They can manage your inboxes and schedule meetings with clients. They can create content, like Lisa said, and schedule posts and videos on social media. They can manage the transaction coordination process, answer calls, and book appointments. And when you're ready to start delegating tasks like these, check out VirtueDesk and use the code BAM23 for the max amount of savings available to get your own virtual assistant so you can maybe cut down on some costs and invest in your business and still make sure some of the other stuff that's important that falls into the whirlwind is happening. They'll even help you get started with the process of hiring one, which is super important. So again, check out VirtuDesk and use the code BAM23. And that's another way you can increase profitability and bump up your P&L. So we've covered a lot here, Lisa. We've talked about the Fed meeting, probably went as well as it could have. We talked yep. about Realtor.com and, and kind of where we are. And I, and I love that there, there, there's some visual data you can share with clients on there. I think it's a really important article. We hit on Jerome Powell's comments. We talked about the big companies that are out there kind of going through the same thing that a lot of real estate companies are on the local level. And when I talk about a company or a business, it's a single agent. It's a two-person team. It might be a six-person team. It might be you know, a larger team like, like you or I have. The point is, this is the market that we're in. So what advice do you have for the knowledge broker out there that it's May 5th? They're thinking about going to Cinco de Mayo happy hour, or they're thinking about how can I get my business on track to still have a profitable seven months on the back of this. What, what's your thought on that? We just lost the lights I, here. I think this actually looks better. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's amazing. It's been one At of those days. Frozen. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I think it's really, uh, dude, I'm so distracted right now. It's like flickering behind you. There we go. It's back. Goes well okay. with my blue shirt and my it baby does. blue eyes. It's the whole thing, whole package. Fair, fair. Uh, and i'm out yeah goodbye <laughs> last episode of knowledge brokers without byron we got we got another snort this is six snort count going through the last two weeks so i'll tell you what i think agents should be doing and then lisa can get her get her life together here so what what i'm clear on is that there's still a lot of opportunity left in the year you've got seven months left to work on your business and we talked about inspection on the PL, inspection on the profitability that's what knowledge brokers are doing I would argue every agent needs to go into their lead flow and their CRM and inspect their communication with their clients, giving solutions, not just saying, hey, no, the home's sold. We can't see it. You've got to think about every conversation you have as an opportunity. And 
they weren't treated that way the past couple of years. And let's, let's just call it what it is. This is across the board. I mean, and this is ridiculous with these lights. So I, you've got it. it inspection is going to be the key here, no matter what happens. And I, I would argue you want to inspect your lead follow-up, inspect your lead communication, and inspect your P&L. And if you do those three things and amp up your conversations and talk to more people, you'll meet more of them, and you'll be able to sell them houses in the second half of the year now that we've got some stability in the market. I, I wish the blinking was timed with your points. Like, it would have just been amazing if it was like, you should inspect, blink, conversations, blink. Anyway. Uh, this is, um, I'm, I'm burning down the studio after this. <laughs> For me, I'm going to go back to the, the P&L stuff. I'm passionate about financials. But I think, uh, you done being a 12-year-old boy? I'm waiting for the blinking <laughs> to stop. Um, I think it's important not just to look at the P&L from the past tense, but I think every agent out there needs to be reassessing their budgets and potentially reassessing goals and whether they're, re whether they're realistic to accomplish the goals that they set at the end of last year heading into this year. And if the budget was based around those goals and those goals have changed, I think it's time for everybody to re be reassessing budgets on a move forward so that you can make a healthier P&L. If revenues are at, like for us, revenues are at about 70% of what we were hoping to be at. And we've got to adjust our budgets to be at about 70% of what we forecasted. And there's some hard conversations, but that's the way to navigate back to profitability and to get to a point where we're still a healthy, sustainable business. And the knowledge broker knows whether they're a healthy, sustainable business. They're looking at numbers. They're under, and you don't need like an accounting degree to figure this stuff out. Mm -mm. I mean, talk to your accountant, have them help you with it. I mean, I imagine you could probably hire out some bookkeeping at a very low cost. I know I have my, my accountant does all our bookkeeping. It's a few hundred dollars a month, but we have a PL that gets produced. We get to, we look at it regularly. We inspect it. That's what business owners do. And when you have a real estate license, you have a business and this is what so many people don't realize. So I, I love the inspection. I think it's it, we're, if you're not happy with something, go look at the data. And every single time, the data is going to tell you what's going on. So you're not sitting around guessing. Okay. So that's what we got for this week's episode. Excellent. Ep this is the best episode we've done yet. I think it's because Byron's not here. So we're going to keep it up. Uh, Lisa, any parting shots here besides the I don't even know. This, this whole studio setup's driving me nuts. We're going to. Gonna revamp. The yeah, Byron mocked my little temporary office here, but I'm gonna tell you, my little temporary office has never had as many troubles as your two studios have had. So, I mean, this is this is just our permanent office, and it's a room that we made into a studio. So it's not like I I don't have the I don't have the fancy setup with the monitors like like Byron does down at the BAM headquarters in Southern Florida. Well, he's probably getting his. Who do you think's winning this golf tournament? By the way, so you got Dan O'Neill, you got the broke agent Eric Simon, and Byron. And then you got all these people that are going to their mastermind. Who do you th who do you think's going to win? I have no idea. I don't know anything about golf. Well, let's be real. Dan O'Neill is still hungover from the party last night. Actually, wait, it's only Friday, so he's not hungover yet, right? Um, I don't know. I, I just I know it's not Dan. How about that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's the best at golf, so I have no idea. I'm going to go with Eric because he's tall, and I think he might be able to really hit some drives with that lengthy swing. Um, and Jill's probably got the most okay. free time out of the three of them to play golf. And, and he lives in California. Well, Byron lives in Florida now. So it is Byron's home course though. So that might be a little bit of a, an issue. So, um, we're going to ask him the scores next week. So you're going, you're going not Dan. I'm going to say yep. it's, so I'll pick who I don't think is going to win and we'll see who it is. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with, 
I think I think Eric might be Byron here. So let's let's and that's that's going to tick Byron off that nobody picked him. So uh, we'll go with I'll go. I'll, I think Eric's going to win. You think Dan is coming in last? We'll see what the uh, the actual shots are. More importantly, this is the Knowledge Brokers Podcast. Hope you guys got some value out of it. Remember, the more you get educated, the better you can serve your clients. And every client you have is a current client. Don't get into that past client mindset where a lot of businesses coming from right now. That's this week's episode. Go get some knowledge.